KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. Progress is being made in the Valley Fire battle. As of late last night, it's 11% contained. That said, firefighters are expecting the worst as Santa Ana winds kick up this week. The Weather Service issued a red flag warning for the region until 8 o'clock tonight. County officials are urging people who live near the fire zone to be ready to evacuate in 15 minutes or less. Here's County Supervisor Diane Jacob. The Santa Ana winds move a fire very, very fast that we have seen here in San Diego, and they're expected to hit the hardest in the middle of the night. That's not the time to make an evacuation plan. All of the large farm animals in the East County, like horses, also need evacuation plans. At a press conference, Poway Mayor Steve Voss talked about places big animals can go if their owners are evacuated. Large animals can go to Oak Canyon Ranch at 12310 Campo Road. Uh, smaller animals can go to the Benita Shelter. In the worst case, I've spoken to Lakeside Rodeo Grounds and Poway Rodeo Grounds. If things get bad, uh, they will be ready. They're not open yet, but they will be ready to open. So far, firefighters don't know what started the Valley Fire. The Valley Fire south of Alpine has burned more than 17,000 acres, destroyed 11 homes, and 25 outbuildings. To keep up with the latest, go to kpbs.org and fire.ca.gov. In much of Northern California, Pacific Gas and Electric has cut electricity to customers in 22 counties as part of their public safety power shutoffs. Governor Gavin Newsom says the utility is using better protocols than in the past. A year ago, uh, I would have imagined more customers being impacted for a longer period of time. There's more precision. There has been more communication, but we're not where we're going to be and not where we yet need to be. The utility shuts off power to areas it believes are the most at risk during high wind events like the ones we're experiencing now. And we should note PG&E has been found at fault for several catastrophic wildfires in the past when its lines were blown into trees or dry vegetation. San Diego leaders came together on Tuesday to unveil Listos, California. It's a plan to inform the most at-risk communities of emergency information. San Diego County received $20 million in state grants to help the county partner with nonprofits and first responders. Supervisor Kristen Gaspard says each family should have a plan in an emergency situation, especially in light of the current wildfires. The state has created a five-step plan called Listos California to help you assemble the necessary items you will need as well as mentally prepare you to take quick action should the time come. For more information on the five steps to prepare for emergency situations, go to listoscalifornia.org. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Wednesday, September 9th. This is San Diego News Matters from KPBS News, a daily morning news podcast powered by everyone in the KPBS newsroom. Stay with me for more of the local news you need to start your day.
KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. The VA is still searching for Vietnam vets who qualify for a new benefit. KPBS military reporter Steve Walsh says coverage for the so-called Blue Water veterans comes after decades of waiting. When the bill was signed in June 2019, advocates worried that the clock was ticking on Vietnam vets who suffered from one of the 14 ailments associated with the defoliant Agent Orange. VA Deputy Undersecretary Willie Clark says the VA needed that extra time. Six months sounds like a long time, and it is if, if you're waiting. But we needed that time to, to train our employees on these laws and the, and the eligibilities, but we were ready to go. Beginning this year, Vietnam vets who served on board ships as far as 12 nautical miles from shore now qualify for benefits. So do their survivors. The same benefits already extended to people who served on the ground or in coastal waters from 1962 to 1975. The VA also wants people who were turned down in the past to reapply. Steve Walsh, KPBS News. More than a million acres have burned across California this summer. The fires can be devastating to people. But as CAP Radio's Ezra David Romero explains, the burns could have long-term ecological benefits. Rachel Lazari Arts has been barraged with questions about whether or not six coastal redwood groves will survive fire season. She's a climate scientist with San Jose State who specializes in the trees. Yes, there's going to be some of the trees that aren't going to survive, but the rest of them, they're going to regrow. They're incredibly resilient. Lazari Arts says when a wildfire burned a redwood grove in 2008, a majority survived and grew new shoots. Wildfires present a complex mix of challenges and opportunities. While climate change is creating more megafires, each one offers a chance to manage land better so that there are fewer fires in the future. At least that's how Susie Coker sees it. She's a UC System Force Advisor in Tahoe. There'll be some areas where the fire did a lot of good. By good, she means excess brush is gone and trees can grow back, spaced out, or be planted to offset the carbon that was emitted during a wildfire. And it's a chance to reset our management. Once the fuels are gone, how do we maintain that over time? Coker says the fires in the redwoods could have opened up growing space for more trees in the future, but she says it's too early to tell. In Sacramento, I'm Ezra David Romero. San Diego State University has been forced to backtrack its plans to reopen some in-person classes this semester. That was after nearly 300 students tested positive for COVID-19. SDSU has issued a stay-at-home order. Meanwhile, questions are being raised about UC San Diego's plan to bring students back in the fall. Gary Robbins is a reporter at the San Diego Union-Tribune. He spoke with KPBS Midday Edition host Allison St. John to discuss the situation. Here's that interview. So fill us in, first of all, on what SDSU's approach is now, following the revelations earlier this week that hundreds of students had tested positive. 
On Saturday, San Diego State decided to essentially lock down students in their dorms. They have about 2,600 students in dorms, and all of them were told to uh, stay at home, stay in the dorms. Um, they could only uh, leave for essential things like food and medical supplies and perhaps even to exercise. The idea there was that they're trying to um, control an outbreak. Um, within a week's time, they went from having 64 infections, infections among students to 286. Now, on Monday night, they extended the lockdown until September, uh, I believe it's 14th. So it was about, they extended it for a full week. So those students will be, you know, not be able to go very far for the next week. They've also asked students who are living in housing near campus to do the same thing. I'm not sure how they're going to enforce that, but um, San Diego State's um, on-campus students are essentially in lockdown right now. Do you have a sense of, of how many of those students are actually staying on campus and how many may be going home? I don't know. I talked to one student last night, um, Caitlin Robinson. What she said was, upon moving back into the dorm last night, was that she thought what the university was doing was sensible because they're trying to get the number of new daily cases down. And by limited, limiting the amount of um, places that students can mingle, uh, that that might get at it. The universities had a really bad problem, um, you know, during the weekend when they were moving in, just before classes started, and during the following weekend, I spent a lot of time on campus at night watching students, and I saw hundreds of them just not uh, social distancing in any way or wearing masks. They would be standing in big groups outside Trujillo's where many of them eat, uh, or in front of dorms or um, over by uh, senior po uh, ponchos or padres, you know, the, the, the typical places. And on the side streets like Rockford and Mary Lane, uh, big parties, no masks, no social distancing. Well, bearing in mind that it looks like none of the COVID cases have been traced back to academic schedules, do you think that this is more the fault of students not social distancing and wearing masks, or is it the fault of the university for bringing students back too soon? I think it has to do with a lot of different things. Um, let's talk about students for a minute. Um, you know, across the United States, 51,000 students have tested positive at more than 1,000 campuses. So we have to ask ourselves why. I mean, they've been told what to do to remain safe, but yet many of them are not doing it. So I've been talking to scientists and psychologists about that, and they say one thing to keep in mind is that you're dealing with 18 to 22-year-olds. And in those people, many of those students just have not fully developed emotionally in their brains, particularly in the amygdala, in, this, in the part of the brain that has to do with uh, reasoning and consequence. So in many people, the brain doesn't fully develop until uh, a person is 25 years old. You also have the exasperation factor. Um, these students uh, generally didn't have high school graduations. Uh, they didn't um, get to have proms. Um, many of them weren't even able to get jobs over the summer. So by the time they got to uh, college in the fall, they were really exasperated and wanted to blow off some steam. So I think that you're seeing some of that as well. And I think some of it is mixed messaging. We've talked to college presidents locally and they say, you know, kids look at the news and they see that some people are refusing to wear masks and others are doing it in a diligent way and it's a mixed message. So some students just adopt the idea of not wearing them. So you have all of these factors and then you have the universities trying to cope with it. San Diego State University and UC San Diego have worked incredibly hard to be ready for this. Um, the educational materials that they've produced are really clear and, and thoughtful. Um, San Diego State brought, brought their students back into dorms, you know, by phasing them in and by having them uh, sign documents acknowledging that these students will, you know, obey the rules. 
um, they have a lot of medical people on hand to deal with it. And UC San Diego is just about to do the same thing. So the campuses have been um, trying, but it just may be that you're dealing with human nature here that's very difficult to control and a virus that is very easily um, spread. Well, we've been talking mostly about SDSU so far, but moving to UCSD, uh, an open letter signed by 600 faculty, staff and students is calling on the university, uh, it's calling the university's plans to reopen, quote, negligent and arrogant. Uh, First of all, what were the university's plans for reopening? They have a plan called Return to Learn. It has a lot of components. One of them is uh, bringing back about 75 undergraduates and putting them in very highly socially distanced dormitories and testing them a great deal. So, for example, if I was a student and I was showing up in a couple of days, you know, as soon as I walked on campus, they would test me on the spot uh, before even letting me into the dormitory. Uh, The results would be delivered within uh, 24 hours, and in many cases, as little as 12 hours. So if they found someone who had tested positive, they would put them in isolation uh, in other buildings on campus right away, or have them go to some place off campus where they could isolate, say, with family. They would repeat that test uh, in 12 to uh, 16 days. The idea is that if I show up on campus today, I may not be showing any symptoms, and I might have, say, become infected a day or two earlier. And the incubation period lasts up to 14 days. So they want to make sure they're catching everybody. Just because you don't test positive when you move in doesn't mean you're not going to uh, test positive within a couple of weeks. Then the idea is that throughout the semester, you would test students every two weeks and that students would um, uh, test themselves in a sense by reviewing themselves for daily symptoms if they were going to be on campus at all. And the same goes with anybody that comes to campus who is um, faculty or staff. So it's pretty comprehensive. How are university officials responding to the open letter? Well, uh, they uh, gave us a statement in which they reiterated that they thought that their um, um, program was actually very strong. And I talked to one of the doctors that is most responsible for, uh, responsible for this plan at um, UC San Diego, Dr. Angela Sosha. She believes that they could control an outbreak because they would test them so fast and so thorough, uh, thoroughly. Now, the people who signed the letter don't agree on that. So finally, what is a student who is scheduled to start a new academic year supposed to do right now? In a sense, they're expected to roll the dice. Um, If they're going to be uh, living on campus, they have to know um, that there is a possibility that they'll get a stay-at-home order or that they'll be sent home. Now, there is also a possibility that everything will go fine and that the university will control outbreaks and it will be a fairly normal experience as far as living in the dormitories. What will be different is the fact that only about 12% of uh, students will have in-person classes. Most of the classes uh, will be taught online. The reason that they're bringing so many kids to, to campus is that a lot of their students aren't from Southern California. They're from other parts of the state and the United States and particularly overseas. They need a place to live. A lot of these students are going to be sitting in dorms and looking out windows at classroom buildings that are essentially empty most of the time because most things are going to be online. So it's going to be a very weird experience, however you cut it. That was Gary Robbins, a reporter at the San Diego Union-Tribune, speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Allison St. John. Coming up on San Diego News Matters, a new digital WOW production from La Jolla Playhouse invites you on a magical journey. 
I wanted this to feel like an invitation for you to use that wonderful tool that you have in your brain of imagining something uh, beyond your reach. Artist David Reynoso reveals some, but not all, of the mysteries of his online experience, Portalesa. That's up next, after this. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. La Jolla Playhouse's Without Walls or WOW Festival was forced online by COVID-19. But as a site-specific event, the restrictions of quarantine have simply become a creative challenge. KPBS arts reporter Beth Accomando says the latest digital WOW work to debut is Portaleza, and it displays an innovative approach to creating a virtual experience. In a time of instant gratification, Portaleza asks you to slow down to enjoy a delicious sense of anticipation. You as an audience member purchase a ticket and then you wait for something to arrive in the mail. Multimedia artist David Reynoso. When this parcel arrives in the mail, you open it and it launches you into an experience. An experience that elicits wonder as it addresses the need for connection during a time of social distancing. Portaleza begins with instructions on how to build a hypnocular device that'll be a portal to your cell phone screen. This idea of truly kind of losing the periphery of a screen, of being able to then think of what it is that you see in a screen and have that kind of expand and explode beyond um, your sense of um, peripheral vision. Renoso explodes expectations by reimagining what an online experience can actually entail. I was so enthralled with the inventiveness of his work that I'm not sure how much to explain and what to leave a mystery. It's like you've been given an ancient artifact that's never been seen or used before. And I think it gives you permission for it to feel completely outside your realm of experience. Yes, I'm seeing a screen that I see every day, but suddenly it's being presented to me in a way that I had never experienced before. And that imagination of that invitation to enter that, that dimension, that portal through the screen in a new way uh, is exciting. It's like a viewfinder that turns your flat cell phone screen into a mind-blowing kaleidoscope. I remember as a kid making my own kaleidoscope and then you put, you know, objects that are very boring, <laughs> you know, you might put uh, sort of like a bead or something that's like a, a piece of wax paper. And these things that feel very kind of n- not very special on their own, suddenly within a kaleidoscope as they're moving around, they're, they're being multiplied, makes them immensely more magical. Then combine those trippy, magical visuals with a seductive soundscape. It is a myriad of sounds that I have found and cut and spliced, and I'd say it's just kind of a sonic collage, if you will. And I think sound is so powerful in what it's able to do to us uh, emotionally. So pairing that with the visuals 
and the experience of then having to, you know, of getting to touch that. I wanted this to be a very multi-sensory experience for as much as I was able to provide that. And I think certainly within a sort of physical space of creating something, I like the idea of going through a labyrinth in order to kind of get lost. Lost in a realm that feels both retro and futuristic, low and high tech, familiar yet strange. I remember, you know, assembling things out of cereal boxes and, you know, imagining that when you make this all of a sudden, ta-da, you now have a set of like magical binoculars. I thought that there was something about that fun in that low-tech magic that invited audience members to then think about also playing along. Portaleza, the latest of La Jolla Playhouse's digital wow productions, engages you with its humble yet inspired artistry and its rapturous innovation. I think we love imagination. I think this is a time in which we need imagination in order to keep us moving forward. And I wanted this to feel like an invitation for you to use that wonderful tool that you have in your brain of imagining something uh, beyond your reach. Portaleza asks you to narrow your field of vision in order to expand your horizons. That was KPBS arts reporter Beth Accomando. Portaleza opened yesterday and runs through October 4th. More information is available at lajoyaplayhouse.org. That's it for our podcast today. Thanks for listening. KPBS On Demand is supported by Arizona Raft Adventures, a third-generation family-owned outfitter providing experiential multi-day Colorado River rafting adventures through the Grand Canyon. Hiking, exploration, education, and fun. Only a seven-hour drive from San Diego. Learn more at azraft.com.